This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central, simpler communications. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now, for your host, Dan Mater. And what's going on, MD Nation? We are back for our very first weekly recap of the 2020 season. How exciting it is. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. This is the week one recap of all the Sunday afternoon games. Tomorrow, when you're listening to this podcast, you'll be listening to the Sunday night, Monday night recaps, along with the waiver wire report. We record this episode on Sunday nights, so we actually record this while the Sunday night game is going on, because we like to get a head start, so that way this episode is available for you guys early Monday morning to kind of jump off your week and recap from a fantasy perspective exactly what happened in those late afternoon games. All the things that happened that you expected to happen, all the things that were surprises, including for me in this show... We had some right calls. We had some wrong calls. And I'll point them out the long way. And look, you got to be able to take your lumps. As a fantasy owner, and especially me as a person who does this podcast, who does rankings, who's very well in the industry, you have to be able to admit sometimes when you were wrong. And of course, give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back when you're right too, because nobody else is going to. And we had some great things happen this week. First, I'll take it off. I started off with this morning. We went through Twitter and Facebook, and we were available from 9 a.m. all the way up until kickoff for everybody who had start-sit questions they're trying to figure out, some injury news flying around. And if you ever need help with your start-sit uh, lineups, and or if you just want to get on the mailbag segment on Thursdays and Fridays, all you have to do is hit us up on Twitter or on, or on Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow at any given time. I'll always be there for you guys. I will answer your questions, and the ones that I like on on, uh, Thursdays and Fridays, we'll bring them on the show as part of the mailbag segment. But every Sunday morning from 9 a.m. until kickoff, we are available for you to get those last-minute star sick questions in. And that's what we did this morning. And it felt good. It felt right. For the first time in a while, it felt like something normal in 2020. Football Sunday, especially the morning leading up to the games, felt like a normal thing. Felt like we were back in action. 
And I was so excited to be a part of it and so excited to have that to look forward to. And then we got into the actual games and in all of the week one humility that usually comes with week one for fantasy owners alike started to sink in, except for, of course, unless your team was going off bonkers. And I, a guy like me, and I'm in 20 different leagues, so I had some leagues that did great, some leagues that did not. But for most people, you're in maybe a couple key leagues. And week one didn't disappoint in the excitement. I don't think overall didn't disappoint with the overall game quality either. That was one of the things that I know I was concerned about. I think a lot of people were concerned about. What kind of quality were we going to see with basically half of training camp that we had in the summertime that we normally do? No preseason games. The first time having action. All of these rookies that we had questions about, hype about. What was the quality of play overall going to be? And I have to say, overall, I was pretty relatively satisfied. Were there some instances where it seemed like some teams were not as sharp as they probably would have been week one had they had the proper amount of time to practice? Yes. But for the most part, I was not disappointed. For the most part, I didn't feel like I was watching a subpar product. And really, at the end of the day, that was my biggest concern. And I felt like we got a good good week one, good solid day of football. And we got a lot we got to talk to you guys about today. Uh, make sure, though, coming up on Thursday and Friday, you're hitting us up for the mailbag segment on the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480. Or, like I said, you can contact us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow, or email the show directly, mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com. And make sure you have those notifications up on the player notifications up on Twitter. All you have to do is put the notifications, follow us, put the notifications on, and we'll be up to date on all of the fantasy player news because, of course, whenever you have a game, you're going to have a lot of key injuries. And we saw quite a few of them, and we're going to go over some of them as we go through these games today. Before we get started, though, I do want to give you guys a quick shout-out to one of our sponsors of today's episode called Jazz Sportsbook. Jazz Sportsbook and Casino, they have a lot of great features like same-day payouts, live streaming, live betting, and available 24-7. Just use the promo BUS150 for 150% free play, up to $1,000 when you sign up. Just go to jazzsports.ag today to go ahead and check that out. So first up on the Rocket Docket, and I should probably mention this before we start diving in, is that we are only available on the podcast apps, whenever your favorite podcast apps are, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, the MD's Fantasy Football Show is widely available to you. Remember, like I said, going from the summer into the season, that our recap episodes and the waiver wire episode will be podcast only as I am on the road those days for my normal day job. And then we'll be back to live streaming, video streaming on Thursday and Friday. And of course, we're available to you there on YouTube, on Sportscaster, Twitter, Facebook, and just newly from starting from last week, we're available now on Twitch as well. So that's kind of how the schedule is going to work out in case you are new to the show and a little bit confused as why this is only available in the podcast version. That's how the schedule is going to work out for the rest of the season. Now that we have that out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our first week one game, the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns. And my first initial reaction to this is, oh, the Cleveland Browns are still the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens are picking up right where they left off a season ago. The Browns didn't look any different than what they did with Freddie Kitchens a year ago. Now, I'm going to be fair to them a little bit in this one. 
They ran into a buzzsaw with the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, the Ravens and the Saints are my Super Bowl pick. I picked the Ravens to win the Super Bowl this year. I think they are the most talented team on both sides of the ball. So this is a tall order for the Cleveland Browns coming into it, especially if you're playing against a team that has a lot of cohesion. They have a lot of their guys back from last year, and they have a true physical identity, and not a lot of people are going to be able to go toe-to-toe with this team. And the Cleveland Browns, their new identity is supposed to be more run-oriented, supposed to be a little bit more physical as well. But clearly, just not as physical as the Baltimore Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, we'll start off talking about the Ravens here. 20 for 25, 275 yards, and three touchdowns. Can we please, for the love of God, be done with the narrative that Lamar Jackson is a running back who happens to play quarterback? I thought that would have went away last year when he led the league in passing touchdowns with 36, but it didn't. People still sat there and said, well, in the playoff game, if you can force Lamar Jackson to throw, he's still not as good. 20 of 25. This isn't a bad Cleveland Browns defense, by the way. This is a very good, young, talented Cleveland Browns defense. 20 of 25, 275 yards and three touchdowns. Can we acknowledge that he is also a good quarterback as well as being a playmaker with his legs. Is that possible? Because it's ridiculous there's still people out there who doubt Lamar Jackson's ability as a quarterback. Picking up right where he left off. This game, he actually only attacked on 45 yards rushing. Didn't have to do a whole lot. Escaped the pocket, moved here and there. Now again, when I watch these games, I watch, I'm watching Red Zone all day long. Obviously, fantasy expert, I want to be able to see a little bit of each game, especially in the most opportune moments. So that way when I come here on Sunday night, I can touch on a little bit of what I saw. What I'll do is on Mondays is I'll spend about six to eight hours going back, watching film from week one. That way I'm better prepared, have more data for you guys heading into week two and are able to talk about some more things that maybe I noticed that might be able to help you out later on. So in this game, we only saw, you know, we saw pretty much the Ravens pretty much most of the time. We barely saw the Cleveland Browns because they barely had the ball. But from what I could tell, Baker Mayfield looked like the same Baker Mayfield from a year ago. 21 of 39 and only 189 yards. Touchdown, interception, looked uncomfortable the entire time. Looked like he was holding on to the ball too much. Couldn't use his mobility. Baker Mayfield is not somebody I had you guys drafting in the first place, and he's not somebody who I had as a streaming quarterback option for this particular week. Had him in my low 20s. First of all, this is a good Baltimore Ravens defense. Even without Earl Thomas, I think they proved that today. But Baker Mayfield, at this point, has to prove that he's not a bust. I know he had that great rookie season, but after last year and what I saw today, now, we don't want to overreact. It is week one. But after what I saw today, he at this point has to prove to me that he can turn the corner. Especially when it comes to fantasy football before I I can trust him. Going, Going to the running games for these two teams, we'll start off with the Cleveland side because that's where the real interesting remark was, right? Is it Nick Chubb's job? Is it Kareem Hunt's job? What's the split going to be? How are they going to utilize these two? Kareem Hunt outcarried Nick Chubb. And I was big on Kareem Hunt this entire summer for this reason. One, like I kept saying, he's obviously, and I think everybody agreed with this part, he's too good to just be a backup. We knew he was going to be involved. The question was, and even I thought, that Nick Chubb would probably lead the way in carries, but Kareem Hunt would lead the way in receptions. And 
would not be left out in the rushing game would be a significant enough impact that it would cut Nick Chubb's ceiling. For a game in which got away from them early, they were down 24-6 to heading into halftime, they still managed to get 23 carries total to Kareem Hunt and to Nick Chubb. So they didn't completely abandon the running game at any point during this game. Kareem Hunt was the better running back, too. 13 carries, 72 rushing yards. Nick Chubb wasn't bad. 10 carries, 60 rushing yards. But then, again, in the receiving game, it was Kareem Hunt's gig. He had he didn't do a lot with it. He only had four catches for nine yards. But he had six targets to Nick Chubb's one. If you're telling me there's a possibility that Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, I won't say Kareem Hunt's going to get more carries than Nick Chubb is, but are splitting the carries, and Kareem Hunt's definitely the leader in the re- as, as a receiving back? Well, Kareem Hunt's the more valuable back moving forward. Now, again, it's week one. We don't want to make too much out of week one. They were getting blown out. This is not the, the typical game script that you're going to want to see of the Cleveland Browns moving forward when they're in games that they are at least closer, if not winning. That's the other thing we got to take into consideration, too. Uh, this is a quick little side tidbit. is Over the next few days... I think we're going to hear a lot of overreactions. And that's that's the other thing. we got to go through these games with an even keel, understanding that it's one week, understanding that some of these teams are just going to be more prepared than others. Some of these teams are going to be better suited for the shorter practice schedule that they had than others. Remember, the Cleveland Browns coming in, they a whole new head coach, a whole new scheme. Baltimore Ravens got to pick up right where they left off a season ago. This stuff mattered throughout week one in quite a few instances. And because that week one was our first game, our first actual chance to see real live football, to see real live data that actually matters when it comes to being able to project our fantasy theories, a lot of people are going to overreact one way or another after the results of this week. So the key for you guys, the biggest tip that I can give you outside of the analysis of each one of these games is do not get too high or too low on any player on your team, or anything that happened this week in particular. Now, there's some things we're, we are going to be able to take out of, and we'll go over that. But don't get too high or too low, because since this was the first week that we could actually get an idea on some of these things, some people are going to take it and run and go one, one, one extreme or the other. We don't want to do that. So I don't want to do that with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I don't want to say, oh, Kareem Hunt now is going to be the ball carrier and the receiving leader for the rest of the season. No, 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 no. I think Nick Chubb, more times than not, will have the majority of the carries. But it might be a closer 50-50 split than the 60-40 split that I was predicting before. It might be more like 55-45. And if that's the case, because it was heavily favored in Kareem Hunt on third downs and passing down situations, Kareem Hunt very well might finish as the better running back to own in Cleveland. Might. But that's kind of what I that that's the part that I will be looking out for moving forward in the week two. On the Baltimore Ravens side of the ball, again, we kind of had a similar situation as what we had in Cleveland, where I think a lot of people are going to leave with some confusion, some overreaction in week one from this backfield. J.K. Dobbins walks away with two rushing touchdowns. Now he wasn't good. The running back, the running game in general was not efficient for the for the Baltimore Ravens in this game. It was Lamar Jackson's arm in their defense that won the game. It wasn't the rushing game. Mark Ingram went for 10 carries for 29 yards. J.K. Dobbins goes for 7 carries, 22 yards. He just happened to get both rushing touchdowns. 
Now, I think a lot of people are going to walk away from that. Well, like, whoa, if Mark Ingram is not the guy at the goal line, I think it's just as likely that Mark Ingram is the one who winds up with two rushing touchdowns next week as it was J.K. Dobbins getting him this week. I don't think there is a specific role for either one of these guys when, when, it, when it gets inside the 10. None of the running backs were targeted in the passing game. I, I take that back. Patrick Ricard, the fullback, was targeted in the passing game. J.K. Dobbins nor Mark Ingram were targeted in the passing game. So we, actually, we still have no idea when it comes to the receiving game what their plan is. No clue. And you can look at his Mark Ingram got more carries than J.K. Dobbins. He just didn't get the touchdowns. And I was glad Dobbins did because he was somebody who I actually had at, ranked in a flex territory. So getting those two touchdowns kind of bailed me out there to make sure he still was able to return that value at the very least. As far as the pass catchers go for the Baltimore Ravens, obviously somebody had the benefit. And the same two guys who usually benefited last year benefited again today. Mark Andrews comes in with five catches, 58 yards, two touchdowns on six targets, which was tied for the most with Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, who goes for five catches and 100 yards and looked fast. The weight that he put on from last year shows. He looks like he might be able to go over the middle without necessarily breaking, but he looks just as fast as ever. Remember, I compared this guy to Tyreek Hill on a consistent basis. I'm doubling down on that after the physical shape that I saw him in this week. And again, I reiterate, this is not a bad Cleveland Browns defense. Outside of those two, Willie Sneed got a touchdown, four catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. Miles Boykin also got four targets, three catches, 37 yards. As far as the pass catchers go... For fantasy purposes, it's Marquise Brown, it's Mark Andrews, and I think these guys are weekly starters. Marquise Brown's going to be a bit of a boomer bust option. He's going to be a guy who's going to consistently be in that low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three territory for me, who has the uh, obviously the upside ceiling of a guy who could finish as a wide receiver one in any given week because of his big play capabilities. But those are the only two guys that I want. On the Cleveland side of the ball, the big question is, can Jarvis Landry, can Odell Beckham get involved Baker wasn't good. So if Baker's not good, it's going to be hard for the receivers to be good. OBJ had 10 targets in this game. You ha- I'm taking the 10 targets to OBJ in this game over the bad production. If you're going to take away something from this game as far as o- Odo Beckham Jr. is concerned. Because he only had three catches for 22 yards on those 10 targets. But he was heavily targeted. They were trying to make a point to get him the ball when they were, when they were throwing it. They're going to be in better matchups than against the Baltimore Ravens throughout their season. They're going to have a couple games against Cincinnati. They're going to have better matchups to get to. They're going to get better, too, as the season wears on in this new system. So I'm not going to be worried about that. What I'm going to take out of this game as an OBJ owner, which I'm really not in a lot of leagues, but if you are one, I'm going to take out the 10 targets and move with that in a a positive light and know that when I have better matchups, as long as he's healthy and getting that kind of target share, he'll be fine. Jarvis Landry, five catches, 61 yards, six targets. I'm going to take that as a positive, too, because this is a guy coming into this week that they talked about he might be limited in his snap count. They didn't know exactly how much he was going to play because he's still recovering from his injury. He, remember, he's ahead of schedule when it comes to his surgery. If he was actually going through the typical timeline, we wouldn't see this guy till week three. So he's ahead of schedule. And in a abysmal game, he still wound up in half-point PBR leagues, full-point PBR leagues, he still wound up with an okay score on six targets, which was tied for second with Kareem Hunt. 
who was heavily involved, only four catches, nine yards. So the guys that you want to get the ball were involved, and that's pretty much what you walk away from as far as the Cleveland Browns side of the ball goes. Moving on to the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. The Jets, what's the over-under on Adam Gase getting fired? And maybe that's something I should set up on Prop Me, who's a another sponsor of the show. They're a new innovative gaming platform and really the first of its kind. They make betting from person to person more easy than ever. Just download the app and join the fun at PropMeLLC.com today. And I think I might open up a challenge for that because they have a lot, they can, you can create your own props. And one of my props I'm probably going to have to go on there and create pretty soon is what's the over-under on Adam Gaze? This team looks horrible, first and foremost. It's clear they have no talent. Le'Veon Bell goes down with a hamstring issue early in this game. We don't know exactly what the severity of that's going to be. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Show. We'll be keeping you up to date on that as news comes through. But if he misses a few weeks, can you imagine this team, Le'Veon Bellis? Your only player who might be able to do anything is Jameson Crowder, who had a great game. Seven catches, 115 yards, a touchdown, had a 69-yarder, 13 targets. And I talked about this before. I mean, Le'Veon Bell and James and Crowdy, the only two Jets that I want to own. James, and both because of volume, not because they're always going to have great production. Crowder had great production today, but it's because of volume. 13 targets. Crowder getting double-digit targets is something that's going to happen very regularly throughout the season. So I love him in half-point and full-point PPR leagues because he has a hell of a floor. They have no one else to throw the ball to. Prashad Perryman was out there. Did you notice? Because I didn't. Three catches, 17 yards on five targets. I couldn't believe he had five targets at the end of the day. The second most targeted guy was Chris Herndon with seven, six catches, 37 yards. But Sam Darnold's captain checked down. Even the one that Crowder broke, it wasn't a long throw. He just broke He just broke it off, off the reception. He broke a tackle and took it to the house. He's captain checked down. Adam Gase designs an offense around checking it down. Look, until Le'Veon Bell gets back, the only Jet player who's of any fantasy note is Jameson Crowder. That's it, period. Not touching anybody else. And Adam Gase is going to get fired sooner rather than later. So we're not even going to talk about the Jets outside of that. On the Bills, though, there were some things that we were keeping our eyes on. First of all, Josh Allen, from a fantasy standpoint, had a great day. 33 or 46. That's something to talk about. 46 pass attempts. In a game in which the Bills were leading the entire time. They were up 21-3 heading into half. They were up 14-0 in the first quarter. There was never a time that they were trailing, and yet Josh Allen threw the ball 46 times. That's going to be something to watch. If they are, going, if they are really turning, the, and this was a question in the offseason, were they going to do this? Were they going to trust Josh Allen enough to turn the offense over to him? Were they going to get away from being a run-first team, and was this going to be Josh Allen's offense? The first week would suggest yes. Now, this was a great matchup for Josh Allen and the Bills involved against the New York Jets, who clearly are lacking talent on both sides of the ball. Without Jamal Adams, they have nothing on defense. Nothing. So this was a great matchup if you wanted to test the theory of what would happen if you have Josh Allen run all around. This was a great time to do it. 312 yards, two touchdowns. Also added 57 yards on the ground with a rushing touchdown. He was a fantasy stud. He's going to finish as a top three quarterback. 
Again, we're recording a Sunday night, so we haven't seen the Sunday night or the Monday night games, but I'll go out on a limb and say he'll finish as a top three quarterback after that stat line. So that's going to be something to watch going into week two. Are they going to continue to just let Josh Allen throw it around like that? Is this going to be a high-volume passing game now? Because they were leading the whole way. They could have ran the ball if they wanted to. They chose not to. In fact, as far as the running back's concerned, they don't, Devin Singletary Zach Moss only, only combined for 18 carries in this game. And they weren't very good. Singletary had nine carries for 30 yards, while Zach Moss had nine carries for 11 yards. Neither one of them were really good. Obviously, Singletary was a little bit better. I guess if you want to take something positive on the Jets' side of the ball is that their run defense was decent. Zach Moss and Devin Singletary were involved in the passing game. I think that was going to be the other question, too. Was Zach Moss going to be more involved than Devin Singletary? It looks to me like this is a true 50-50 split. Not just in the production that they got, but in the volume. There's a couple times where they're out there on the field at the same time, but it looks like when it comes to carries, when it comes to catching the ball, this looks like a true 50-50 split between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, meaning they're both going to be RB3s and flex plays, and I think that is something you can take moving forward as long as they're both healthy. I think that is the game plan. And Zach Moss looked decent. He gets He's the one who winds up with the receiving touchdown of the two, but Devin Singletary had more targets with seven compared to Zach Moss's four. He just didn't have the touchdown. But it looks like it's going to be an even 50-50 split, and I think as long as that's the case, and they're both flex plays in certain matchups like against the Jets. Stephon Diggs was actually second in targets in this game, but he still had nine. Eight catches, 86 yards. He doesn't score here. There's a few times where Allen kind of left him out the dryer, kind of didn't hit him when he was open. That's going to be expected with Josh Allen. But if they're, like, like I said, that's why it's so key to see with him throwing the ball 46 times, moving into week two, moving forward, if they're going to let him throw the ball that much, well then, hey, you know what? You throw enough darts on the dartboard, one of them is eventually going to hit the bullseye. Stephon Diggs has a nice floor game in this one, a nice solid game. In half-point, full-point PPR leagues, you're not going to complain about that stat line of eight, of eight catches and 86 yards. John Brown actually led the way in targets, 10 targets on the day. Six catches, 70 yards, a touchdown. Makes it really interesting. I'm still not going to trust this Buffalo Bills passing attack yet. As far as... You know, as far as anybody not named Stephon Diggs, I still have to see, you know, them throwing it at this high of a clip to believe that Brown might be able to work his way into low-end wide receiver three territory. But if they throw the ball like this, that could actually happen. So that's why I'm going to have to keep my eye on that. But I'm not going to go ahead and drop everything I can for a John Brown or pick up a Cole Beasley because all of a sudden I think these guys have high floors on my team now. They're fine, they're fine bench plays if you have them on your bench already. I wouldn't move on from them after this week, but I'm not going out to get them. I, I still want to see if this Bills team is really going to be this pass-heavy moving forward. Next game we had up, we had the Chicago Bears, we had the Detroit Lions. These guys, this was a tale of two halves. For, well, I mean, honestly, it wasn't even a tale of two halves. It was a tale of three quarters and then the fourth quarter. And kind of like how the Browns are still the Browns, well, apparently the Lions are still the Lions because apparently they still find a way to blow leads in that fourth quarter. They were up 23-6 hanging in the fourth quarter, and they gave up three straight touchdowns. Mitchell Trubisky looked like the Mitchell Trubisky that we all know and love to make fun of. Sucky. Crappy. And yet, 
He had an awesome fourth quarter. Gets to hold on to his job because up until that point, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? It might be Nick Foles come week two. And totally just saved himself for at least another week. Totally did. And you can thank the Detroit Lions defense because I don't know. They were playing great all game long. I don't know what happened in that fourth quarter. All of a sudden, they went prevent defense. Even when the game wound up getting close again, they went prevent defense and just pretty much let Chicago inch their way back into the game. It was, it was absolutely unreal. Trubisky finishes with a 242 yards, three touchdowns, 26 yards on the ground off of 36 pass attempts. On the flip side, Matthew Stafford, he, he missed Kenny Galladay. Galladay didn't play in this game. It was obvious that Galladay was missed. 24-42, 297 yards, a touchdown, an interception. He just couldn't get a go-to guy. Marvin Jones wasn't able to get going. He wasn't even the lead target on the day. He only had eight targets. Quintez Safis had 10 targets on the day. That was who led them. Chicago's defense played well. Their front seven played well. They got a good pass rush. Marvin Jones was a huge disappointment. He was somebody that I bumped way up my rankings before the game started today when we got the news that Kenny Dalladay was definitely going to be out. And I looked at it as somebody who's like, I think he's going to get 8 to 10 targets, and he usually does pretty well against Chicago. Well, he did get the 8 targets that I was expecting and why I bumped them up so much, but only getting 4 catches, 55 yards was very surprising to me. The receiver that did the best was Danny Amendola. 5 catches, 81 yards, 7 targets. Do not touch any um, Danny Amendola. First of all, we all know he's a couple weeks away from an injury. But second of all, this is what he does. He tricks people into thinking, you know what? This guy, when he's out there on the field, he has a nice little floor. He gets targeted in the slot. He's pretty productive. And then he either has a bum game or he has a bum ankle, and then he's out for you know the rest of the season. So don't make the mistake of going after Danny Amendola. Don't do that to yourself. TJ Hawkinson came through, five catches, 56 yards, and a touchdown. He's somebody I've had my eye on as a lower-end streaming tight end, a, a possible deep sleeper this year. And I said it all last year. I love TJ Hawkinson's talent, and if he learns to hold on to the ball in the red zone, there's no telling what he's going to be able to do. But he had a good week one last year. So again, this is another guy I don't have an overreaction in week one, but he is somebody who definitely, if he wasn't on your streaming radar before, should definitely move up now and might be somebody that we're talking about on the waiver wire next week. We'll see what happens. I haven't put that list together yet. That'll be for tomorrow's show. The headache for the Detroit Lions moving forward is the running game. Adrian Peterson led the way. 14 carries, 93 yards. I went into this game saying, you know what? I think it's on Johnson's week. Because Adrian Peterson had just joined the team. DeAndre Swift had missed a lot of practice, even though we knew he was going to be active. He had missed a lot of practice up to that point, questioned how much he was even going to play. And I thought to myself, there's no way that it's not carry on leading the way this week. He's set up for it. Well, I mean, he started the game, and then Adrian Peterson was clearly the hot hand. Carry on went seven carries for 14 yards. Adrian Peterson, 14 for 93. And by the way, looked great. Looked awesome. This is not a great Detroit Lions offensive line, BTW. He looked great. He was explosive, he was physical. So much to the point now where this, in my mind, just became a three-headed monster. And if it's going to be a three-headed monster, well, then guess what? Wait for it. We haven't been able to drop this one yet, the first one of the year. Prepare to be flushed. 
Yeah. Flush Carryon Johnson. Carryon Johnson is the first guy of week one who I'm saying you can go ahead and just drop him. Just drop him. Because DeAndre Swift, whenever he's healthy, whenever he's going to get going, he's going to be the lead guy as far as receiving. He was today. He had five targets, three catches, 15 yards, but he had five targets. Carryon Johnson wasn't targeted once. Adrian Peterson was targeted three times today. Carryon Johnson wasn't targeted once. I'm going to hit it one more time. To be flushed. It's over for Carryon Johnson. This this is a hard stance that I don't believe is an overreaction to week one. Best case scenario, he still gets worked into the rotation. You're going to hit three-headed monster now with Adrian Peterson and DeAndre Swift, who's the rookie who they spent a, a second-high draft pick on. You're done. You're droppable. Swift should have had a touchdown in this game. He actually dropped it. And it was a, it was a tough one at that because it, it might have won the game for Detroit at the end there, and he dropped it. And it was a, it was a beautiful pass. He just flat-out dropped it. On Chicago's side... We talked about Mitch Trubisky. David Montgomery was active. He did get the bulk of the carries, 13 carries, 64 yards. Still not, you know, didn't get a crazy amount of work in this game. Was a bit, was a little bit limited in his snap count, which we expected him to be. Because like I kept saying, I, I just don't see how he's coming back. But I'll say this, he looked good. 4.9 yards a carry. He looked pretty good. Now, granted, it's Detroit, who's a horrible defense. And going to be really, really bad this year. And after watching them, I don't... I mean, we, we're going to talk about Jacksonville and the Colts later on, but just watching the attitude of the two teams, Detroit still has more talent than the Jaguars do. But if that attitude on defense doesn't change for Detroit, and Kenny Galladay is not the savior for them on offense, Detroit might be one of the worst teams in the NFL this year. And may, maybe, dare I say, worse than Jacksonville? Maybe. It's week one. That could be an overreaction. I'll admit they were at the bat, but it just it looked that bad. And we already knew going into the season their talent was terrible. But David Montgomery took advantage, and he had a good, efficient day, which is something that we've all been knocking him for, coming off the groin injury early and was having a good, efficient day. Tariq Cohen had seven carries for 41 yards. He was not involved in the passing game the way I anticipated him to. He only had two targets in this game, two catches of six yards. He wasn't involved. If that's going to be the case, Tariq Cohen is going to go from a guy who in half-point, full-point PPR leagues has borderline flex potential to a guy who's maybe only a mere handcuff. We'll see if that changes, but this was the whole problem last year was that Mad Nagy says, you know, I didn't get him involved in the passing game enough. Well, he didn't really make a plan and emphasis to get him involved this week either. And until the fourth quarter, you were down 23-6. to So they were in a game script that should have favored Tariq Cohen being involved in this game, being involved in the passing game, and that did not happen. And it's already hard enough if you're not going to get the volume that you can't trust the quarterback play with Mitchell Trubisky or even Nick Foles if and when he takes over. Allen Robinson was Allen Robinson. He had a nice floor game, five catches, 74 yards, nine targets. Was it the big game that you were hoping for going up against that Detroit secondary? No. But at the same time, Allen Robinson's always going to be a guy who's going to give you a high floor because he's always going to have that volume. Anthony Miller had the big game, the four catches, 76 yards, a touchdown on six targets. I'm not picking up Anthony Miller. I'm not owning a pass catcher, not named Allen Robinson, on this team. Even Jimmy Graham got a touchdown. I'm not going after Jimmy Graham either, even though he had seven targets in this game. I'm just not. I know Allen Robinson's going to get enough volume, and I know he's good enough to be able to give me a floor each and every week. And the weeks that he scores, he'll be 
you know, fighting for that top end wide receiver two spot. I'm not touching anybody else on this team. Quarterback plays is too shaky at best. The shootout of the week, and this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna eat some crow in this game. We're gonna bring it up. We're gonna talk about it, and I I know where I made my mistake. So the Packers and the Minnesota Vikings, forty three to thirty four. That was the shootout of the game. Not the game that I was counting on seeing the shootout of the game, by the way. And we'll start off with where I need to eat some crow. I need to eat some crow on Adam Thielen. He had eight targets, six catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns. I was somebody who had him as a low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three this week. And the reason I had that for him was because I expected Minnesota, in Minnesota, to control the game flow because I expected their running game, which is very similar to what Kyle Shanahan runs, which tore the Green Bay Packers defense apart a season ago, I expected their running game to control this game. I expected them to lean on it. And I didn't expect them to have to throw the ball that much. So I thought Adam Thielen was not in line to maybe get more than six targets in this game. And against a good Green Bay secondary, I was a little bit worried about what that could mean. And I was dead wrong. Guess what? Minnesota didn't throw the ball that much. Even though they were trailing in this game by a lot, even though they had a big fourth quarter, even though they scored 34 points, Kirk Cousins only threw the ball 25 times. They barely had the ball on offense. 25 pass attempts, 22 carries. Green Bay dominated the time of possession in this game. The fact that the Minnesota Vikings put up 34 points, I I think is actually really impressive from their offensive end. And I would be looking at the Green Bay defense right now like, what's up with you guys? Because they were barely on the field. 259 yards, two touchdowns. He doesn't have a bad stat line. Dalvin Cook only had 12 carries in this game. I never would have guessed that. He does come away with the two touchdowns, so he does have a you know a big top 10 fantasy day for you. And he's Dalvin Cook. That's going to be the thing about him. He's By hook or by crook, he's that good. He's going to give you those top 10 performances more times than not. That's why we love him, as long as he's healthy. Alexander Madison actually had just as many yards as Dalvin Cook on half the carries. He was, he was actually very good in his own right as well. And a little bit mixed in more than I would necessarily want him to be in this situation too, but this is Dalvin Cook's backfield. We're not worried about that. The big thing, though, was that Madison got targeted more in the passing game. I don't think that's going to be a thing. I think this kind of this game got out of control. Minnesota wound up making a comeback, so the score is closer than what the game actually was. So 43-34, you look at that and you're like, oh, they only lost by two scores. They scored a lot of points. But really, the Green Bay Packers had dominated this game. They were up 29-10 heading into the fourth quarter. So the score is a little bit deceiving into how Minnesota actually played. And I don't believe they were in their proper game flow. So I'm not going to take anything out of Alexander Madison out-targeting Dalvin Cook in this one. As I suspected, though, outside of Adam Thielen, there was not a wide receiver who you really wanted to own heading into this matchup. Justin Jefferson wasn't very involved. Two catches, 26 yards, three targets. Justin Jefferson is somebody who I expect to pick it up after the month of September. And I suspect as the season wears on, we're going to see him get more and more involved and get more and more targets and compete there with Adam Thielen. But as far as the first month goes, he's not somebody who I expect to be overly involved just yet. Just yet. We're going to see him get more involved later on in the year. On the Packers side of the ball, didn't it look like Aaron Rodgers was like, yeah, 
that narrative of Rodgers might come out with a chip in his shoulder because everybody's counting him out, it sure looked like that. 44 pass attempts, so so much for the run-first approach. 32 completions, 364 yards, 4 touchdowns, 0 interceptions. If we're going to get more of this out of Aaron Rodgers, oh boy. Oh boy, look who might be returning to fantasy eliteness. Now, I talked about there was a factor in this game that I didn't take into consideration, especially when it came to Adam Thielen's ranking, that I should have. And that factor was that this Minnesota defense is not the same Minnesota defense that we've seen the past couple of years. I think I gave Mike Zimmer a little bit too much of the benefit of the doubt that he would be able to put something together and be able to still have a good overall defense at the end of the day. This isn't a good defense. Not having Daniil Hunter, not bringing back Everson Griffin, Xavier Rhodes, who is aged out really anyway, but Mike Hughes is okay. Not as good as I was hoping he would be. He's an okay corner. And then not really having much else outside of that, besides Harrison Smith. This is a defense that's vulnerable. They're vulnerable in the pass rush. They're vulnerable on the edges in the run game. And they're going to be very vulnerable when it comes to passing the football because this is a secondary you can take advantage of. Now, it is Mike Zimmer. I I will give him the credit in this sense where I do think this defense will play better as the season wears on. But this is a defense for now that I am not going to be afraid of, especially from a fantasy standpoint, and a defense I'm going to look at as one that is vulnerable and able to be taken advantage of. And I didn't take that into consideration. Had I taken that into consideration, I would have had a better idea that the Packers' offense would have been, I not maybe not 43 points worth, but would have been very good and that the Minnesota Vikings would have had to be more aggressive in this game, and that would have went into my Adam Thielen projection too. That was a factor I didn't take into consideration, and I will for moving forward. Because that was the fact of what happened in this game. There was nothing the Packers couldn't do. There was nothing the Packers, anything they wanted to do, they could do on the Minnesota Vikings defense because they just didn't have the firepower to stop them. Aaron Jones, 16 carries, 66 yards, and a touchdown. Has a good game, and yet kind of quiet considering everything else, all the five of the fireworks that went off. Jamal Williams had seven carries. A.J. Dillon only had two, so A.J. Dillon's not a thing. As I said, he would not be, especially early on in the season. Jamal still got his touches, his snap count, I should say, which is something that we would come to suspect. Uh, they're still going to use him. He's still in that, you know, they still have him for this year. Getting news now, like I said, we're recording this during the Sunday night game. Getting news now that the Cowboys are fearful that Blake Jarwin may have just torn his ACL. So that's something we're going to have to look into tonight, or look into tomorrow, and keep your eyes peeled on us on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow. But that's just coming through now. Ooh, and he was one of the sleeper tight ends. Talk about with TJ Hawkinson being being somebody who is climbing up our board. He might have just took a big jump now because with Blake Jarwin out of the way. Now, back to what we were talking about with the Green Bay Packers. Passing game, obviously, Devontae Adams. If, if Aaron Rodgers had a big day, it's because Devontae Adams had a big day. And you know what? This might be one of the better stacks to start moving forward with in DFS because that, that is going to be hand-in-hand, hand, and it's always good to have a stack there, too. Make sure you're checking out our new show, DC's DFS Challenge, with me and Chris Pinto on Saturday nights. We just had our first show yesterday. That went pretty well. But yeah, Devontae Adams, 14 catches, 156 yards, two touchdowns on the day, 17 targets. I said this in the offseason. I'll say it again. 
of all the wide receivers who could challenge Michael Thomas, of all the wide receivers who could be the Michael Thomas of this year, it's Devontae Adams because he has a great quarterback and nobody else to compete targets with him with. The next target, highest targeted guy was a tie between Marquez Valdez-Scantling with six and Aaron Jones with six. Those are the next targeted people. He had 17 targets. Looked great, healthy all the way, elite receiver one. I said he had a chance to be the Michael Thomas of this year. It looks like he very well might be. Al Lazard scored in this game. Scantling scored in this game. They had some big time throws. Don't care. Unless they start to do it consistently, unless the Packers are really going to be a team that throws the ball more again, like they did today, and I don't really suspect that's going to be the case. I think maybe they just wanted to make a point week one against the Minnesota Vikings, and Aaron Rodgers was hot. I'm not looking to pick up Scantling or Alan Lazard moving forward. There, this is something I'm going to have to see for a couple of weeks before it becomes anything of note to me fantasy-wise. Before we move on to the upset of the week, which was the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Indianapolis Colts, I do want to talk to you guys about Thrive Fantasy. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is the daily fantasy sports app for player props. Use promo code BELLYUP. When you sign up today, you will receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. So download the Thrive Fantasy app today. I actually want a few bucks off of that today. It's really easy to use. You just do a couple props and a couple of stars that you think they're going to get over or under on a certain stat line, and away you go. So the Colts and the Jaguars. Uh, I had to hang my head on this one. Not so much from a fantasy perspective, just because I, I'm so sick of the Gardner Minshew mania. I'm not a fan of these underdog quarterbacks. I'm not a fan of these guys. I'm not a fan of guys who I know aren't actually that good. But he was 19 of 20. That's pretty good. He had three passing touchdowns. That's pretty good. Only 173 yards, though. Very checkdown oriented. Played it very safe in this game. And it paid off. And you know what? I would be pretty good, too if NFL defenses decided that they weren't going to cover a receiver coming across the field twice. Two of his touchdowns, one that went to DJ Chark and one that went to Keelan Cole, were both off of plays where they cut across the entirety of the field from one side to the other, and when they got to the other side, nobody picked them up. Busted coverage. The Colts' defense miscommunicated this entire game And as a result, the Jackson Jaguars won and shouldn't have, should not have. This game was close the entire time. DJ Chark only had three targets in this game. Now he winds up getting you the touchdown, so you're okay with it at the end of the day. But I find that a little concerning. Now, I think overall, at the end of the season, DJ Chark's going to be the lead targeted guy, but I do think it's annoying if guys like Keelan Cole, guys like Avishka Chanel are going to be as involved as they were today comparative to DJ Chark. I am going to find that annoying. By the way, all three of those receivers scored today. As far as the running back situation, as far as fantasy goes, I'm Chenault becomes somebody who is a sleeper to me because he does have that big play capability, and D.D. Westbrook was a healthy scratch. So that means LaVisca Chenault is a starting wide receiver on this team over D.D. Westbrook. And because of his big playability, like I said, he is somebody who I think can become a deep stash to me. He's not somebody I'm rushing out to play, but if you can pick him up, he might not be a bad one to have as he will get better as the season wears on too. 
It was all James Robinson as far as the running back carries go. 16 carries, 62 yards. Not great, but was fine. But the important thing was there wasn't any other running backs who got carries in this game. Chris Thompson wasn't involved the way I thought he would be. That was a bad, that was, I don't say a bad call by me. That was the wrong call by me. Because I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to have to come back from behind by multiple scores in this game. This game never got out of hand. They were only down 7 nothing in the fourth quarter, and then they were actually up the rest of this game, 14-7. They never relinquished it after that. And they wound up winning 27-20. So they didn't have to use Chris Thompson the way I thought they were going to have to use him. They're going to be in a lot more matchups where they're going to be coming back from behind where it's going to be Gardner Minshew throwing the ball for a hell of a lot more than 20 times. And that's where I think Chris Thompson's going to make his mark. But when it's all said and done, this game at least, only two targets, two catches, six yards. That's it. Done. Over. I'm not dropping Chris Thompson. I still like him a lot. James Robinson is somebody who's going to probably be on the waiver wire as I was not I wasn't drafting him, nor was I rushing to pick him up. I wanted to see exactly how the Jacksonville Jaguars backfield was going to plan out. But he was the guy. There was nobody else. And does that change when Rykel Armstead comes back? I don't know. James Robinson seems to be the guy that they're more high on, not just because of this game, but leading out of training camp seemed to be the guy that they were more high on. So I don't know if this changes. The real question mark, I think, becomes on the Colts side of the ball. So first of all, here's one I'll tip my cap to in a way, in a roundabout way. So as you all know, if you're listening to the show, I was not big on drafting Jonathan Taylor in the third round. I thought that was way too high because I knew in my mind that this was going to be a three-headed monster at the, in the running backfield. I knew Naeem Hines was going to be involved, especially in the passing game. I knew Marlon Mack was going to be the starter, and I knew Jonathan Taylor was going to get sprinkled in after all that was said and done, and I didn't think there was enough touches there to justify a third-round pick on Jonathan Taylor. Well, if you draft, if you ignored my advice and you drafted Jonathan Taylor in the third round, congratulations. Because by luck for having Jonathan Taylor, bad luck on Marlon Mack's part, it sounds like Marlon Mack may have torn his Achilles. And by the time you're listening to this podcast, we may already know the answer to that, for sure. I mean, that's, that's the fear right now. He hasn't gone for the MRI. The results, as of recording this Sunday night, are not official yet. But it sounds like he may have torn his Achilles. So if that's the case, all of a sudden, that third round investment that you made on Jonathan Taylor is about to pay off, because now he's, he's about to be the lead carry guy. I will add this to the caveat, though. I, he's still not going to be in a position to be an RB1, the way people think he had the potential to be if he were to take over this job. And I say that because it's clear that Naeem Hines is going to be even maybe even more involved than I anticipated. And I had him, I, I think I, as far as the industry goes, I was anticipating him being involved a little bit more than most people out there. First of all, he had seven carries in this game, 28 yards, a touchdown. I mean, Jonathan Taylor only had nine. Marlon Mack got hurt early in this game too, by the way. But the big thing is, is that he was involved in the passing game at a huge clip. Eight targets. Eight targets. Eight catches. 45 yards. A touchdown. The big takeaway I took from the Colts aspect of this game was that Frank Reich, to me, decided that he was going to run Philip Rivers' offense rather than Frank Reich's offense. And that seemed to have been his game plan, at least heading into week one, 
But I'm going to guess that was the, that was the way they installed it this entire summer. That looked like Philip Rivers on the Chargers. It didn't look like Frank Reich's offense. It looked like Philip Rivers's offense. And they paid the price as a result. Philip Rivers cannot win the game on his shoulder. I was I was one of the people talking about that when they signed him in the offseason that he was not an improvement over Jacoby Brissett. Their passing numbers were identical to each other a season ago, and Jacoby Brissett being a younger guy who was still improving or still at least had the potential to improve, Philip Rivers is only going downhill at this point in his career. Now his stat line isn't overly terrible, 36 completions, 46 attempts, 363 yards, a touchdown, two picks. But when you go back and you watch this game, like I'm going to have to, you're going to see that there was a lot of throws that were grossly underthrown. The interceptions were terrible interceptions. And it looks eerie familiar to the Phillip Rivers that we saw last year. And the offense looked eerie familiar to the offense that we saw last year. So Jonathan Taylor and Naeem Hines just became the new Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler, meaning they're both going to have fantasy value. Jonathan Taylor is going to be a high-end RB2 as the main bell cow. Naeem Hines is going to be a flex play to a borderline low-end RB2 in half-point and full-point PPR leagues because he's going to get a lot of targets. And if Naeem Hines is somebody who is still available in your leagues... He's going to be one of my top waiver pickups. If I don't know if he is less than 50% owned. I haven't looked at the numbers yet. If he is, he's going to qualify for the waiver wire segment when we talk about that, and he might be one of the top guys. He's going to be looking at a ton of targets. It's clear to me what the way they're running this team. And like I said, when it started off, Marlon Mack was the starter. They were only sprinkling Taylor in. Naeem Hines was getting all the third down work. Marlon Mack goes down, and that changes everything. So now moving forward in the week two, we have a, the new Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler on our hands. I truly believe that. So that's really the big thing I had to take moving forward. The other thing that was interesting was Paris Campbell. He was getting good separation. He looked pretty good. Now, granted, this is a Jacksonville secondary that we all felt they should be able to take advantage of. But playing from the slot, running what looks like to be a Philip Rivers offense, not a Frank Reich offense, and I'll keep, I'll keep making sure that is clear here, uh, Paris Campbell is going to be the beneficiary of that. He is somebody else who I'm going to be looking at moving forward who is very interesting to me. Oh, one thing I did not mention, to be fair, Jonathan Taylor was also involved in the passing game. That's why I said this is the new Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler. He had six targets for six catches and 67 yards as well. So he got he got involved in that aspect of the game too, just like Melvin Gordon did with the Chargers. So I, just, I wanted to make sure I was I was getting fair on that one. The big thing, the call that I did have, one of the calls that I did have right this week was T.Y. Hilton not being a guy you needed to start in your lineups. Four catches, 53 yards. He did have nine targets. He tied with Paris Campbell with the most targets on the team. But I talked about this leading up into week one. If T.Y. Hilton does not get to play the slot very often because Paris Campbell is going to be the starter there and they are committed to Paris Campbell being their slot wide receiver, he's going to benefit more than T.Y. Hilton. It would not surprise me if Paris Campbell had at least more volume, not necessarily more value, but more volume than T.Y. Hilton by the end of this year. And Hilton's value as a result will take a hit. Now, again, it's week one. I'm not overreacting. I'm not saying T.Y. Hilton is not going to be a guy you're not going to be able to plug in your lineups at any point this season. That's not what I'm saying. But this was a plus matchup. 
This was a game in which the Colts had to come back from behind. This was a game in which Phillip Rivers threw the ball 46 times. And T.Y. Hilton got four catches, 53 yards. It concerns me because T.Y. Hilton's going to be the deep ball guy on the outside. And I think, if anything, when you go back and watch this game, Phil Rivers shows he doesn't have an arm left. Everything I said about him in the offseason just rang true for this particular week, at least. So moving on, we got the Raiders, we got the Carolina Panthers, and I promised you we're going to pick up the pace a little bit, but there's a lot of details go over in week one. So with the Raiders and the Panthers, this is the other game that I said had sneaky shootout potential, and it did kind of become one. Teddy Bridgewater was a streaming quarterback to me. He had a good game, 22 carries, uh, 22 completions, 34 attempts, 270 yards, a touchdown. He tacked on 26 yards on the ground. His touchdown was a big 75-yarder to Robbie Anderson, who I played in a lot of my DraftKings lineups and FanDuel lineups that did do well. He was actually the big receiver on the day, too. Six catches, 115 yards. Of course, he's the one who had that 75-yard touchdown. Eight targets. The Panthers did in the passing game what I kind of expected them to do. I expected them to evenly distribute the targets amongst their top three receivers, and they did that. Anderson had eight, DJ Moore had nine, and Curtis Samuel had eight. DJ Moore only had four catches, 54 yards. Another guy I said wasn't a must-start. Curtis Samuel, five catches, 38 yards. If this is going to be an even split, and I talked about this too, that's why DJ Moore was one of my bus wide receivers. Now, again, like I said, it's week one. Again, I'm it's not somebody who I'm saying you're not going to be able to play this year. You are. This is Nine targets is still volume that you're going to take to the bank at the end of the day. So don't get what I'm saying twisted. But this is one of the things that I said was he's not going to be the head and shoulders targeted wide receiver over everyone else. The other guys are going to get involved. This offense is designed around spraying the ball out to their top weapons. And Robbie and also I added that Teddy Bridgewater throws a better deep ball and can be more aggressive when he's put in the position to do so. And I think he did that today. That 75-yarder, it wasn't just because Robbie Anderson broke one. It was a strike, a perfectly thrown ball down the field. Robbie Anderson's still going to be a guy who's going to be a hit-or-miss type of wide receiver. He's still a big play or bust type of guy. But he might be he's in a situation that's much better than we've ever seen him in. He's away from the Jets. He's got a better quarterback, a better offensive system than he's ever had. And he's always been a guy that I thought was a dynamic talent and interesting to me. And somebody who I, I'm pretty sure last time I checked, he is under 50% owned and will be probably on the waiver wire segment tomorrow. Christian McCaffrey, it's Christian McCaffrey, 23 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns, tacked on, three catches for 38 yards. Nothing to really talk about there. Christian McCaffrey is Christian McCaffrey. He looks just as good as ever. Ian Thomas wasn't too involved in this game. That's the only thing of note, but he is somebody who is only a streaming tight end, and that's going to happen with streaming tight ends. On the Raiders' side of the ball, Derek Carr was, looked like Derek Carr. Uh, most part, captain checkdown. Most part, played it safe. 22 of 30, 239 yards, a touchdown. A guy, a guy who's who's never... I don't know if he's ever really going to be in a situation... There's going to be certain matchups where he might be streaming worthy or a guy you might consider at the very least, but I don't know if he's ever the guy I'm going to pull the trigger on and plug in my lineups at any given point. Henry Ruggs had a nice showing there. Five targets, three catches, 55 yards. He got banged up at one point in this game, had to come out, but he did come back in, so he should be fine heading into next week. The guy I got I got wrong on, so I talked about, you know, Robbie and Stewart right on, Well, I was also wrong on somebody in this game, and that guy was Brian Edwards. One catch, nine yards on one target. 
This is somebody who's been talked up all offseason long. This is somebody who is going to be a starting wide receiver even before Tyrell Williams went down. And when Tyrell Williams went down, I thought he could be that he could play that kind of role where he could be a bigger receiver that they do jump balls to, especially in the red zone. He I mean, it's only week one. I do think this guy still has a bright season ahead of him. I still think he's somebody who could be a wide a viable wide receiver for on your on your squads, but he is going to have to prove it before we consider playing him at this point. And that's that's a call that I got wrong on my part. Darren Waller was the lead target. He didn't have a great stat line, six catches, 45 yards, but he had eight targets. And that's really what I wanted to see because this was a game in which you saw Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller on the field. And when that happened last year, Hunter Renfro ate into Darren Waller's work share. That didn't happen this time. Renfro only had two targets himself. So Waller has better days ahead. And then the other key that we were looking for was, okay, is Josh Jacobs really going to be involved in the passing game? He was. He had six targets. He had the second most targets on the team, four catches, 46 yards. If he's going to be that involved in the passing game, we all know what he did on the ground today. 25 carries, 93 yards, three touchdowns. He's going to be an RB1 if he's going to be that involved in the passing game this year. He's going to be a top 10 guy, period. So congratulations, Josh Jacobs owners. Moving on, we got the Dolphins, we got the Patriots. I loved watching Cam go. Didn't do much in the air. Didn't expect him to. 15 of 19, 155 yards. But they ran an offense that I was hoping that they were going to put around him. I was hoping Josh McDaniels was going to develop an offense suited to Cam Newton's skill set of being able to run the football. And their offense is 100% RPO-based. Everything they did was counted as a play. Whenever they threw the ball, it was counted as a play action because everything revolved around the RPO. And if they're going to do that from a fantasy standpoint, I don't know how successful it's always going to be in the NFL compared uh, in, in certain matchups they run into this year. But from a fantasy standpoint, Cam Newton is going to have a safe fantasy floor with to a good fantasy ceiling every single week. He's going to be a guy who's going to be in my top 12 quarterbacks every single week. I had him top, I had number 12 to finish for the year. And it was because of this thought process of what we might see them do. And they did exactly what I was hoping they were going to do. He ran the ball 15 times, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Sony Michelle, 10 carries, 37 yards, a touchdown. Rex Burkhead, seven carries. So if you're wondering how the backfield was working without Damian Harris, Sony Michelle, who's still limited in this game, and it still looked like he was a little bit injured. He didn't look like his full self. Again, was inefficient, but he does get the touchdown in this game. I don't know if I care. James White, three targets in this game, three catches, 30 yards. James White's going to be game script dependent. Not that he already wasn't to some degree in the past before, but now if you don't find yourself in a situation where you think New England's going to be forced to throw the football, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to play James White. Now, I'm not dropping him. That's why I'm not hitting the dump button. I'm still going to hang on to him for now and see how this thing plays out. But what I can tell you is that he's going to be very matchup dependent. I don't know if I want anybody on the Patriots not named Cam Newton or Julian Edelman. I don't think this is going to be a highly prolific offense this year. But Cam Newton, for what it is that they're running the offense around, he's that deep quarter. He's that quarterback you took late in your drafts who's going to be in a QB1 discussion every single week. You got your sleeper. You got your steal. Congratulations. Julian Edelman, seven targets, five catches, 57 yards. He's going to have better days ahead than that, but the most important thing is is that he's going to get the volume, and he's going to be very involved in the offense. So he makes a perfect wide receiver too, especially in those half-point, full-point PPR leagues, maybe more of a 
low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three in standard because of the touchdown factor, but he's going to be a guy who's got better days ahead. He's the top guy. What was surprised me is that Nikhil Harry was actually more involved than I thought he would be as far as the target share goes. He had six, but still only five catches, 39 yards. He's somebody that doesn't, I don't think needs to be owned. Really doesn't need to be owned. Still had a hard time getting separation out there, but this was a good Dolphin secondary. On the Dolphin side of the ball, the Fitzmagic dissipated three interceptions. We'll see how long until Tua takes over. I It, it might only be the month of September. It might only be two more weeks. I, I think there's a decent chance that we see Tua take over in the beginning of October. Devontae Parker got banged up in this game. He wound up leaving. He re-aggravated the hamstring injury. We're going to have to wait and see exactly what that's going to mean moving forward as well. It didn't sound like it was overly severe, but whenever you re-aggravate a soft tissue injury, especially the hamstring, it could usually mean a couple weeks missed. And it it might also be something that carries with them, unfortunately, throughout this season. So it's something we're really going to have to watch. The only way he really comes back from this 100% healthy is if they decide to be more cautious than not with Devontae Parker. So if you're a Devontae Parker owner, honestly, as much as it might suck for your team, the best thing for you would be for him to miss the next two weeks and just rest because it's the only way he it might not follow him around all season long, unfortunately. Without his presence, though, Preston Williams, seven targets. Preston Williams will be the number one target guy. Preston Williams is a must-own guy. Preston Williams will be a guy who we consider a wide receiver three week in and week out. There's no Devontae Parker. Mike Isicki didn't have a great game. Three catches, 30 yards. He did have five targets. If Devontae Parker is gone, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into what we saw at the end of last year when Preston Williams went down, where it's that number one wide receiver and Mike Isicki getting all the targets. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. I have not been big on Mike Isicki throughout the offseason. It's also kind of doing it with the mindset that they were going to have Parker and Preston Williams both healthy. Now, if Parker is struggling with his hamstring issue, I don't know what that's going to mean as far as that goes. But if he's only had, if he only has competition with one main wide receiver, he'll get enough targets where he will be somebody to at least consider. Consider as a streamer, not consider as a must play. Don't get it twisted. Jordan Howard got banged up in this game. He did get the touchdown before he left, but he did get banged up in this game. It was unfortunate. We're going to see what that means for him moving forward. We'll keep our eyes peeled on that. But I think what was interesting is that it wasn't Matt Breida who came in and took over for him after he went down. It was Miles Gaskins, who led the team with nine carries for 40 yards. Matt Breida only had five carries in this game. He wasn't involved in the passing game. I have to think if Jordan Howard's going to miss time, that Matt Breida will be more involved. I mean, they traded for this guy. He is a playmaker. He's definitely the most talented running back they have in that backfield if Jordan Howard can't go. So why they're screwing around with Miles Gaskin, I don't know. But... What I will say, if you are a Matt Breida owner, because you had him as a you know your RB four as your be- as your bench play, this is something to keep my eyes on because if this continues to happen, Matt Breida might not be somebody that I have to own anymore. Moving on here, the Seattle Seahawks, Atlanta Falcons. This game disappointed me. Well, it, let's put it this way: it disappointed me on the Atlanta side here. Todd Gurley, we all know, I know I love him. Everyone mocks me for it. Still had a decent game today, by the way. 14 carries, 56 yards, and a touchdown. But what concerned me as a Todd Gurley lover, as a Todd Gurley defender, one of the biggest reasons why I said I believe he could actually be an RB10 at the end of the year was because he was going to the Atlanta Falcons and that there was no way he was going to lack the target share 
on the Atlanta Falcons that he did with the Rams a season ago. There was no way that he was going to be left out of the passing game. He was left out of the passing game today. Two, I'm sorry, five targets. So it's not bad in that sense, but only two catches for a yard. Two catches for a yard. Todd, if Todd Gurley's going to be an RB1, he's going to have to get involved in the passing game. But the reason why I still feel like I can defend Todd Gurley, the reason why I still feel like I will still be big on Todd Gurley is because he does have a floor because he finds the end zone. He did today again. So as I said, 56 yards and a touchdown, still not a bad day. Still going to finish as an RB2 when it's all said and done. And I'll take the five targets as like, okay, that's more targets than he really did in any other game with the Rams last year. Hopefully they'll be able to execute more, but he's got to be more involved. And it was still disappointing because Matt Ryan threw the ball 54 times. So that was why I was disappointed. It may not last long before week one. I was a little disappointed. As far as everybody else goes, it was, it was off the chain. I mean, you want to talk about an even distribution? 12 targets for Julio. 12 targets for Calvin Ridley. 12 targets for Russell Gage. That one surprised me. All three of them had nine catches. All three of them went over 100 yards. The only real difference was Calvin really was wound up who, who got two touchdowns in this game. Both of Matt Ryan's touchdowns went to Calvin Ridley. That was really the only difference between those receivers. Russell Gage getting that is something we're going to have to keep our eyes on. I was big on Hayden Hurst. I have him a top 10 tight end. I am not, you know, I'm not hanging the panic button on him or anything like that. I still know Matt Ryan loves to go to his tight ends in the end zone. He had five targets in this game, three catches, 38 yards. Not the stat line I was looking for, especially in a game in which Matt Ryan threw the ball 54 times. But this is something that would be concerning, is that if Russell Gage is going to be involved to this level, if they're actually going to trust him this much, then that will cut into Hayden Hurst's ceiling. It will cut into his volume. And somebody who's big on Hayden Hurst, I was not counting on Russell Gage being as involved as he was in this game. Now, like I said, it's week one. And game flow will be a little bit different. They had to be a little bit more aggressive down the field in this game because they were trailing by multiple scores the, in, the entirety of the game. But it's something we're going to have to keep our eyes on as far as Hayden Hurst's value because if Russell Gage is going to be involved that much, that will cut into what he's going to be able to do. From a fantasy standpoint, Matt Ryan was great. 450 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. You're not going to complain about that. And what I will say is that that defense looks horrendous. So it's looking more and more like the Atlanta Falcons. Not that we didn't already think that before, but the Atlanta Falcons are going to be in a situation where they are going to have to come from behind quite a bit, have high-volume passing games, and that offense is going to have to frantically find ways to put up points. That's another coach we have to have an over-under on. Over-under on when does Dan Quinn get fired, because I think that's going to be sooner rather than later too. That defense cannot be that bad again after this guy held onto his job by the skin of his teeth last year to have this team look like it did the same, exactly like it did a season ago in week one. So over under Dan Quinn getting fired if they don't quickly turn things around in Atlanta. Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Seattle, Russell Wilson was tremendous. 31 of 35, 322 yards, four passing touchdowns, tacked on 29 rushing yards. He was phenomenal in this game. The thing that was surprised me is that um, there was a report coming out that said that they might limit Chris Carson a little bit. He's still getting into game shape. He's healthy. He's not hurt. So don't worry about that if you're Chris Carson owner. But it was still kind of getting the game shape. They said that Carlos Hyde might be more involved than they expected. It might be a 50-50 split. I didn't think that would really be the case. But 
as far as carries go, that was the case. Carlos Hyde had seven carries to Car- Chris Carson's six. Chris Carson still had a great fantasy day, though, because he winds up with six catches, 45 yards, two touchdowns on six targets. And if you want to take anything out of that, is that, well, even though Carlos Hyde and Chris Carson split carries, uh, they definitely trusted Chris Carson way more in the passing game. That's pretty involved. That's pretty involved for Chris Carson in the passing game. Six catches, 45 yards, two touchdowns, six targets. That's being pretty involved for Chris Carson in the passing game. And this, this is just until he gets back in the game shape. Week two, week three, we're going to see his carries get up to more and more. If he's going to maintain that kind of level of receiving work along with what we know the carries could be, which is 18 to 20 carries a game, we're looking at another guy who might have been drafted in the third, fourth round who very well might wind up with RB1-type level production. So I would be, I would be excited if I was Chris Carson owner right now. DK Metcalf, the DK Metcalf things, four catches, 95 yards, touchdown, had a, a touchdown on 38-yarder, eight targets. That would be the other thing. If I was DK Metcalf owner, I would love the fact that he had just as many targets as Tyler Lockett did in this matchup. And Tyler Lockett had a good game too. Eight catches, 92 yards on eight targets. Talk about efficiency. He just didn't score. Greg Olson actually scored today, but he only had four catches, 24 yards. I don't know if I'm touching a tight end in Seattle right now. I know that touchdown means he's probably going to finish near the top 12, if not inside the top 12. I'm not touching it. To me, this passing game is DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Carson. I'm not really going to touch anybody else in that offense, unless somebody was to get injured. Moving on, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington, uh, Washington, I almost said it, I didn't say it, Washington football team. This is the other upset of the day, but this is another game where I found myself, you know, like, you know what, there were certain things I should have taken into consideration that I didn't. And one of those things was the offensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles. Lane Johnson winds up being a late inactive on Sunday. We already knew they were going to have to move Peters out to tackle because Diller was hurt for the rest of the year. And they had wound up having no Miles Sanders. Now that one I didn't know about, We didn't, none of us knew about until Saturday. Where all of a sudden they ruled him out. I moved up Boston Scott just like everybody did in my rankings, only for him to actually wind up getting banged up himself in this at one point in this game, and didn't really have the volume that I expected him to have. And when I we had taken consideration a banged up offensive line against a Washington front, which we all knew had the capability of being a pretty good pass rushing front, and a team that without Miles Sanders doesn't really have. A competent running game. So you kind of get left with a situation where they had to throw the ball to move the ball. Carson Wentz turned into a turnover machine this game. He had two interceptions. He had a fumble. Two fumbles. He lost one of them. So everything's kind of went downhill for the Eagles. So I'm only going to take some of these things out with a grain of salt. Miles Sanders, we expect to be back next week. That's number one. Carson Wentz will play better. He's still going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback for me. Especially when they have a running game that they can check it down to. The other thing we got to talk about, though, is that Dallas Goddard. Nine targets compared to Zach Ertz's seven. Now, I don't think that's necessarily going to be an indication for the season. Like, oh, maybe Dallas Goddard's going to actually out-target Zach Ertz. Because when Alshon Jeffrey comes back, I think Dallas Goddard's value is going to go way down. And we now know that because Alshon Jeffrey didn't start the season off in the pup list, that that might be sooner rather than later. But for this game, and until that happens, it might be safe to play Dallas Goddard as a 
lower tight end one. The volume's still going to be tricky. He's still going to be a little bit hit or miss. But eight catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets in this game. Zach Ertz got the early touchdown. He had seven targets, three catches, 18 yards. That's it. Look, this Eagle passing it, this Eagle offense just was not very efficient in this matchup at all. Deshaun Jackson, another one that, oh, he broke my heart. I had so many shares of Deshaun Jackson going into this week in so many different leagues. He had seven targets. He had the volume I was looking for. I kept saying, if Deshaun Jackson's going to get six to eight targets in this match against Washington, I like my chances of what he's going to be able to do. He got the targets I wanted him to get, but only two catches for 46 yards. As far as the wide receivers go, he was tied with Greg Ward for the most targets amongst the receivers. But it was the tight ends who were the name of the day. And we know with the Eagles, that's a possibility of happening. Greg Ward, five catches, 31 yards on seven targets. Jalen Rager, he did come in. He got four targets, got that big catch for 55 yards. It was all he was able to do. We knew his playing time was going to be limited to begin with. Um, It was sort of a miracle that he was even active in the first place. He's going to get more time as things progress. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was not a thing. John Hightower played more. So I believe what's going to happen here is that Jalen Rager, Deshaun Jackson, Greg Ward are going to wind up being the three receivers until Alshon Jeffrey comes back moving forward, which also, again, could be sooner rather than later. And when that happens, we're going to see, I think we're going to see Rager and Greg Ward go back and forth as far as playing time in the slot goes. So Deshaun Jackson is not somebody you need to be dropping. He's still somebody who I think has good value. And he's just, he's just Deshaun Jackson. When he's not supposed to do well, he does great. When he does when he is supposed to do well, he, he leaves you with two catches, 46 yards. It's just it's Deshaun Jackson. On the, re- on the Washington side of the ball, Antonio Gibson was not the bell cow, as I predicted. Nine carries, 36 yards. Peyton Barber had 17 carries in this game. Now, Peyton Barber was as inefficient as they could possibly come. 17 carries for 29 yards. Again, this is a horrible match against the Eagles for any run team. No one's ever going to be efficient against this, this run defense. It's very good. But the big key here, and why I was a little bit worried about Antonio Gibson, why I was not touching a Washington bat, a running back until... You know, until until we got more clarity of the situation, and the clarity of the situation became, I'm still not touching a Washington running back, because Peyton Barber was the goal line guy. They tried to give Antonio Gibson uh, a goal line carry, and he didn't convert. And then they gave the Peyton Barber, he punched it in, and then when they came back down the goal line again, they took Gibson out, put Barber in, and then he punched it in again. Barber's going to be the goal line back for a while. Now Gibson was involved in the passing game, sort of, two targets. J.D. McKissick actually had more five targets. Only one catch for one yard, though. And I expect Gibson to take over that role more so moving forward. But this very well may be Peyton Barber getting the bulk of the carries, especially in the goal line. And Antonio Gibson getting sprinkled in, but mostly being a passing down guy, a guy who's going to be doing a little bit of both. So his ceiling is going to be capped throughout the year. Now, in half point, full point PPR leagues, when he starts to get more of the target share over J.D. McKissick, which I believe will be sooner rather than later, could even be as soon as week two. He'll be a guy who will be a flex play in some matchups. But for now, he's not a must play in my lineup. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts, it's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season, make this December one to remember. Together, click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Terry McLaurin going in a tough matchup. He wasn't a must-start for me. He was more of a, a high-end wide receiver three for me this week. Did have seven targets, five catches, 61 yards. It was a tough match against Darius Slay. I didn't expect him to do too much in this game. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Logan Thomas is somebody who's going to be on people's boards moving forward as a possible streaming tight end. I still think there's really only room for one pass catcher as far as fantasy purposes go, and that's Terry McLaurin. I think you're still going to have better tight ends to stream than Logan Thomas. This is still going to be an offense that you're just widely not going to be able to trust to put up points. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team, team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. So we move into our 4 o'clock matchups with the Chargers and the Cincinnati Bengals. And <laughs> for once, it didn't happen to the Chargers. Bullock pulls a calf on a chip shot field goal that would have sent the game into overtime. 
if there was ever a Charger thing that happened, that was it. But it happened to the Bengals instead of the Chargers. That was just the flip of the script in this one. They wind up winning 16-13. to This was an ugly game. Ugly game. Tyrod Taylor wasn't great. 16 for 30, 208 yards. I tell you what, if they had gone to overtime, if they had lost that game. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. I've been a big proponent that I believe Taylor was going to play this entire season because I'm a big proponent that I believe the Chargers would be a good enough team to be in playoff competition. They are going to have to get more efficient on the offensive side of the ball. They are going to have to figure out something really fast because otherwise Justin Herbert might be taking over sooner rather than later. And if Justin Herbert takes over, I hate that for all pass catchers involved, everyone involved. As far as the rushing game goes, there was a big question. Who's it going to be? Was it going to be Joshua Kelly? Was it going to be Justin Jackson? Well, Justin Jackson got hurt early again in this game with a quad injury. Joshua Kelly, therefore, takes over as far as that role goes, and he did very well. 12 carries, 60 yards, 5 yards a carry, comes away with a rushing touchdown. He looked good. He looked sharp. He looked explosive through the line of scrimmage. I've been a guy who's been a proponent that Justin Jackson was going to get first crack, and I thought he was good enough to maybe hold on to that job and be that number two to Austin Eckler. Between the injury he had getting out of training camp heading into this week, remember he had the foot thing, he just got cleared on Friday, and then all of a sudden he gets hurt again. Kelly takes over, and I think Kelly played well enough that even if Justin Jackson were to come back healthy next week, I think he's lost that job. I think he's relegated to being the number three running back. I think that's I think it's out of his hands at this point. So I do believe it's going to be Joshua Kelly moving forward over Justin Jackson. So if you have Justin Jackson, do yourself a favor and go ahead. Prepare to be flushed. As we're having drop issues, apparently, being able to play that over the line. We're going to hit that one more time. Is that way you guys can actually enjoy it? Prepare to be flushed. If you're holding Justin Jackson to be a sleeper, go ahead and drop him. Plain and simple. Josh Kelly's the guy. Austin Eckler had 19 carries in this game for 84 yards. It's more carries than I was anticipating him getting. I don't think that's something you can really count on, but I was expecting him to get somewhere between 18 to 20 touches total, and that's what wound up happening because he only had one target for one catch and three yards in this game. That's going to leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth if you're an Austin Eckler owner because you're still counting on the idea that Tyra Taylor would still get the ball to Austin Eckler in the passing game. That if it was, Tyra Taylor, while he doesn't have necessarily the check down history, that because they signed Austin Eckler, because they know he does what he does, that they would at least, the coaching staff would have game planned him in to get more involved in the passing game, and he was not. And that's a big reason why I think this offense struggled. I think it's a big reason why Tyra Taylor struggled. The easiest way to get your quarterback in rhythm is having a running back you can dump the ball off to. You have that in Austin Eckler. That's not something that he did. So that's something that if they're able to turn around next week and improve upon, they'll improve in a big way in a hurry. Mike Williams played more and better than I thought he would this week being active. This wasn't somebody who was supposed to play. He had nine targets in this game, four catches, 69 yards. He looked good going after the ball. And Tyrod Taylor looked for him down the field. 
even though he doesn't wind up with a big stat line in this game, he is somebody who I think was dropped in a lot of leagues or was at least drafted late. And I think he's going to return more value than what you're either going to pick him up for or what you drafted him for. So even though it wasn't a big stat line, I liked what I saw out of Mike Williams. Keenan Allen, I'm not taking victory laps this week one. But Keenan Allen was somebody who had been on my bus list coming into the offseason because I said it's a guy who depends on volume. Now again, eight targets, that's not volume you're going to sneeze at. But this isn't Phillip Rivers. I don't know how often he's going to get double-digit targets, and I truly believe Keelan Allen needs double-digit targets to be that low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two that everybody has become accustomed to having him be. Hunter Henry, five catches, 73 yards, eight targets. That's solid production. He doesn't score, so he may or may not finish the week as a top-10 tight end, but you're going to take that kind of production, you're going to take that kind of volume out of a good tight end any day of the week and know that he has bigger, better days ahead of him as long as he's healthy. And we know Taylor will get his tight end at the ball. On the Bengals side of the ball, Joe Burrow, while he didn't didn't have a big stat line, he didn't have a touchdown, he did throw an interception. It was a terrible shuffle pass. 23 36, 193 yards. Nothing about that stat line is impressive, but he looked impressive. This is a good Chargers defense. He looked under control, he looked impressive. It just he looked impressive in that game. Tacked on forty six yards rushing with a touchdown. That's going to be the thing about Burrow. If you took him as a sleeper quarterback, he's going to be a guy who's going to have a decent floor for you because he is a better rusher than people have ever given him credit for, and he showed it off in today's game. Joe Mixon, not a great fantasy day. Did get nineteen carries, but only sixty nine yards on the ground. Joe Mixon, kind of like Austin Eckler, is going to leave a sour taste in your mouth. This is a guy who was drafted late in the first round in most drafts. He was definitely a guy who I had graded as a first-rounder myself. The big selling point was that Zach Taylor had been saying all offseason long that he learned his lesson. That towards the second half of the season, when they just fed Joe Mixon the ball, and not just with carries, but also in the passing game, with a true bell cow back, a true all-three-down back, a guy who was getting almost as many targets as carries. He was amazing, and the Bengals' offense worked better, worked more towards what Zach Taylor wants to do. So I, and I'm not the only one, went into this entire season thinking that we were going to kick it off with with where Joe Mixon left off as far as the volume goes at the very least. Recognizing this was a tough matchup, but but expecting the volume both in the passing game and the rushing game. Well, he got 19 carries, but he only got two targets in this game. Genevieve Bernard, who is not supposed to be involved as much anymore, had five targets in this game, tied for second with four other players for the second most targets on the team. That leaves a little sour taste in my mouth because I am anticipating Joe Mixon taking that leap up this year because I'm anticipating him being a true bell cow back who's going to be as involved in the passing game as he is in the rushing game. That wasn't the case today. And that does leave me a little bit concerned. Again, week one, I'm not going to overreact. I know Joe Mixon's good in the receiving game. We'll see if this corrects itself. But it just felt very eerily similar to the beginning of last year, and that's something we don't want to see happen as Joe Mixon owners. A.J. Green led the way, head and shoulders, nine targets, five catches, 51 yards. Should have had a big touchdown. Joe Burrow missed him completely wide open in the end zone. And really would have had he would have had a much bigger fantasy day had Joe Burrow just hit him. He just 
way overthrew him on the ball. One of the few really bad passes we saw out of Joe Burrow today. So that stat line could have been a lot better. The most important thing is that he looked for him. And from a physical standpoint, A.J. Green looked great. He looked just as explosive. He was running routes. He was getting separation. He had great body control on the sidelines. Great hands still. And from a physical standpoint, A.J. Green looks great. So that, that's the positive to take out of there. Tyler Boyer is pretty quiet in this game. Four catches, 33 yards. They only scored 13 points. He's going to have better days ahead. The Cardinals, the 49ers, another upset in this game. And another one that I have to eat some crow on. I have to eat crow on DeAndre Hopkins. Coming into this matchup, I had DeAndre Hopkins in half-point PBR leagues ranked as wide receiver 14. I caught a lot of crap for it leading up in the week. I stood strong. I doubled down. And now I have to take my lumps this week. 14 catches, 151 yards, 16 targets. That was what I didn't expect. This offense, I felt like, was built on spreading the ball evenly throughout its weapons. DeAndre Hopkins being the lead guy, but being evenly. This looked like DeAndre Hopkins on the Houston Texans, where it's DeAndre Hopkins and then everybody else. Head and shoulders. First of all, the 49ers secondary, couldn't they couldn't come up with an answer for him. He was open every play. Which is also a little surprising. We didn't, I mean... He was fine. He was cleared. He was active. But this is somebody who had dealt with a little bit of a hamstring injury in training camp, missed some time. I questioned, that was the other reason why I had him at 14, I questioned what the cohesion between Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins was truly going to be because I didn't know if they really had enough time to build a lot of chemistry. And you're talking about a 49ers team, both defensively and offensively, is largely intact from what it was last year. And I felt like they were one of the teams that would benefit or be ahead of the curb when it came to this less practice time. That didn't want to be in the case. But again, kind of like the Vikings game, I, what I didn't take in consideration here, which I should have, is that the 49ers, without having a true wide receiver to go to, just lacked offensive power. There was plenty of times in this game where the 49ers could have put the Cardinals away. And they kept letting them hang around because offensively, Jimmy Garoppolo just had no one to throw the ball to. Remember, George Kittle left for a a decent portion of this game. He came back, but he left for a decent portion of this game with a knee issue. And when that happened, even when George Kittle was on the field, but even when that happened especially, the practice squad that is the 49ers receiving course without Brandon Ayuk and without Debo Samuel showed up. Jimmy had nowhere to go with the ball. Nowhere to go with the ball. And that led to the Cardinals hanging around. That led them to throwing the ball a ton, and DeAndre Hopkins could not be covered. Kyler Murray didn't have a great statistical day throwing the football. He only had 230 yards, only had 26 completions. 14 of those 26 completions were DeAndre Hopkins. Didn't have a great day throwing the ball. Touchdown and interception. Had a great day rushing the ball. Had a great fantasy day. He ran the ball 13 times for 91 yards and a rushing touchdown. He was scrambling all over the place. And that's why Kyler Murray is always going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback because of what he can give you with his legs, even if he's not going to give you a big passing day. And I'll give Kingsbury some credit. He did a pretty good job of being a balanced person. That's my question. Were you going to go back to running your four receiver sets? Were you going to go back to running your two tight end sets? <coughs> Excuse me. Were you, going to, were you going to be able to find a way to do a blend of both? He was able to do a blend of both. They were pretty well balanced. They ran a lot more 11 personnel, which I think is more up what they need to do. 
with Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and DeAndre Hopkins not work in a fourth receivers too much. They don't really need to. And switch it back and forth between that and two tight ends. And that's what they did. So I was impressed with Kingsbury's play calling in this game as well. Kenyon Drake had a decent day. 16 carries, 60 yards. He gets the rushing touchdown, though. Only tax on two catches for five yards. But he gets you the rushing touchdown, and it's a tough defense that he has a decent day with. He's going to have bigger games ahead as well. Chase Emmons found the end zone. But outside of DeAndre Hopkins, I don't think there's a pass catcher you can own. If this is how it's going to be, where it's just clear-cut, like Murray's just going to look for Hopkins everywhere on the field, and it's not like that's outside the realm of possibility, Fitzgerald only had five targets in this game. Christian Kirk only had five targets in this game. He had one catch for zero yards, Christian Kirk. Now, obviously, it's not going to be as pathetic as that is, and DeAndre Hopkins is going to have 16 targets every single game, but this may not be as evenly of a distribution in the passing game as I was anticipating heading into the year and heading into week one. And it's also clear that Murray and Hopkins have more chemistry than I was anticipating this early in the season as well. Now, our last game that we're going to talk about today before we wrap up the show, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, New Orleans Saints as we're approaching an hour and a half here, or a little over an hour and a half. There's a lot of things we need to take out of this game. There's a lot of questions that we had in this game. So we'll start off on Tampa Bay Buccaneers' side of the ball. I did not expect the Buccaneers to look sharp week one. This was a team that had a lot of new moving parts. It was going to be a new offense than what they ran last year, even though it was Bruce Arians because it's Tom Brady. They had Robert Kowski, they have to get worked in. Mike Evans barely was active. And they, we knew going into this game that Mike Evans was going to be a decoy. I told everybody who was willing to listen on Sunday morning, don't play Mike Evans. He did wind up getting a touchdown, but that's all he did. So if you did still play him because he was active, he didn't lose you your day, I suppose. But he was very much, in the real sense, a decoy out there. So they didn't have all their weapons either. A lot of cohesion issues that I knew they were going to run into him was the offensive line, picking up different blitzes. This team is going to get much better, and they're going to get better fast. But I didn't expect them to be that sharp week one, and they weren't. Brady, 239 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. He's going to get better. He's going to be somebody who's still going to be inside my top 10 most weeks for fantasy football purposes. I'm not straying away from Tom Brady after this game. Remember, he still didn't have a healthy Mike Evans. In the rushing game, Ronald Jones, 17 carries, 66 yards, 3.9. Not very efficient, but also a very tough run defense in the New Orleans Saints. Leonard Fournette had five carries for five yards. So, we'll talk about non-efficiency. He had one catch for 14 yards, Leonard Fournette did. Ronald Jones, two catches, 16 yards on three targets. I, I question what they're going to do, though, because there's going to be an emphasis on getting that running game right because it's clear that they need to get some pressure off of Tom Brady. Remember, this is still not the greatest offensive line in the world in Tampa Bay. They might get a little bit better, but this is still not the greatest offensive line in the world. They need to find a way to get some pressure off of him by being able to effectively run the football. Leonard Fournette is still the best running back in that backfield, and we knew he wasn't going to have a big role come week one because he had just joined the team about a week ago. So we knew that heading in that this was Ronald Jones' backfield, at least for week one. Did he do badly enough for Leonard Fournette to take over completely week two? No. Am I starting Leonard Fournette next week? Probably not. But I will say I expect Leonard Fournette to be more involved next week. And Ron Jones, who I already had as running back 36 on the week, he's not somebody who's going to be a must-start for me either. This backfield is not going to have anybody who's a must-start for me until somebody either gets hurt or clearly takes over. 
that somebody is going to be Leonard Fournette at some point this season. And I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. But it might not be week two or before I thought there might be a chance, depending on what Ronald Jones did in this week. And I don't think he did bad enough for him to completely just lose the job now. But I think you're going to see Leonard Fournette get more involved. Ronald Jones a little less. And we're going to have to pick up and see from there. But we're still going to be in a wait-and-see situation come week two when it comes to the running back situation. Chris Godwin, six catches, 79 yards, seven targets. This is a good Saints defense. I want to keep. They are my team in the NFC. Like I said, the Baltimore Ravens are my team in the AFC. The Saints are my team in the NFC, where I think they are the best team on both sides of the ball in the NFC. It's a good defense. That's a decent line. And a Chris Godwin in a tough matchup, even though Mike Evans was a decoy. Scotty Miller was the third receiver, as advertised. Six targets, five catches, seventy-three yards. I'm not rushing out to pick him up in 10-12 team leagues. But he is somebody who I'm going to continue to have my eye on if this hamstring injury lingers with Mike Evans a little bit longer. He could be somebody in half-point, full-point PPR leagues that's a low-end wide receiver four who you can consider playing in the flex in certain matchups just due to volume. O.J. Howard was the big target leader at the tight end position. That was the other question we had, exactly how the tight ends were going to work out. Rob Mikowski played. He played a decent amount. But it's clear they're still trying to get him on the same page. It's clear they're still trying to get him in the football shape as well. O.J. Howard scored. It was on a wide-open play. I still think that this is going to be Rob Gronkowski as far as the actual targets and reception volume goes before sooner rather than later. They're just not quite there yet. So outside of Chris Godwin... I think there's a lot of wait and see on Tampa Bay. I don't think there's anybody I'm rushing to play week two. Brady will probably still be a low in QB1 for me, so I would consider playing Brady week two. But outside of that, I'm not rushing to play anybody week two. And Mike Evans will just depend on what his health status is. But it's still a lot of wait and see on Tampa Bay after this game. On the Saints side of the ball, the Tampa Bay defense is good too. That's why I think as soon as their offense turns it around, this is going to be a really good team. But Todd Bowles has that defense playing well. They got a lot of pressure. They have a really good front seven. Hard team to run on. Saints were very inefficient on the ground. And they can get a lot of pressure on you fast. Drew Brees felt that pressure too. He didn't have a great day. He had two touchdowns, but only 160 yards. Boy, they did enough. Latavius Murray actually led the way in carries. He had 15 to Alvin Kamara's 12, and he was much better on the ground, 48 to Alvin Kamara's 16. But Kamara finds the end zone twice in this game. Once on the ground, once in the air. And he led the team in targets. Eight targets, five catches, 51 yards. He looked spry. He looked healthy. And I think that's the biggest thing you take out of Alvin Kamara, and he gives you an RB one day. Jared Gook was very good in this game. He's a guy who's been in my top 12 at tight ends, five catches, 80 yards. He had a high-volume game, seven targets. That's going to be a little bit more hit or miss because I think the big note in this game, especially on the Saints side of the ball, is Michael Thomas only had five targets, three catches, 17 yards. He got rolled up on a little bit at the end. Got listed with a little bit of an ankle issue. It did look like he kind of got out of the way. I don't think he's going to be too seriously hurt. I think he's just going to be a little bit sore tomorrow. He was walking around under his own power just fine at the end of that game on the sideline. Helmet on. He looked okay for the most part. Just kind of got rolled up on a little bit, but he was able to escape it. But five targets, three catch, 17. I knew Emmanuel Sanders was going to eat into that. I knew that their weapons were going to eat into his target share. Not quite like that, though. But again, like I said, this is, a, this is a tough Tampa Bay defense, and they did a really good job trying to take him out of the game plan. Sanders, five targets also, only three catches, 15 yards, but he did get a touchdown in this game. His presence was felt. It was Jared Cook and Alan Kamara in the passing game. 
Michael Thomas, obviously, better days ahead. I'm not panicking. That's going to wrap up today's show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We're going to be back tomorrow with the recap of the Sunday night game and the two Monday night games along with the waiver wire segment. We'll have our rankings out for week two. Hopefully, we'll definitely know later by Thursday afternoon, but hopefully we'll be able to get them out a little bit earlier than that on the bellyupfantasysports.com website. Make sure you're checking us out on your favorite podcast app, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, also available on. Remember, we got one more show tomorrow that will be only available to you on podcast, and then we will be back Thursday and Friday on both the podcast and streaming the video. So I hope you guys all enjoy that. We'll see you all real soon. And everybody, I hope you have a good luck on the Sunday night and your Monday night games, and you're able to pull out a win at for your week one start of the season. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.